0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. No one who has ever stepped on a Lego brick could doubt the reality of physical objects. Get from Heraclitus to George Barclay, many philosophers have claimed to have disproven the existence of things. Now, even high-energy particle physicists are inclined to agree. So could the world truly be made out of fields and processes, rather than physical stuff? Joining us to debate whether our reality is an illusion are chemist and fellow of Lincoln College, Peter Atkins, philosopher of science at the University of Bristol, James Ladyman, and author of A Field Guide to Reality, Joanna Kavanagh. This debate was recorded live at our festival, How the Light Gets In. If you would like to book a place at the upcoming London edition in September, just use the code RTimes for 20% off your tickets. For more information, please follow the links in the show notes. I'll now hand you over to our host for this debate, philosopher Julian Baggini.
0: Could the world truly be made up of fields and processes rather than physical stuff. Are the everyday objects that surround us an illusion? Or is science in a philosophical fantasy which needs escape? Or are these all completely the wrong questions in the first place? That's what we will find out from our panel. Peter Atkins, James Ladyman, Joanna Cavenna. We're going to start with three-minute opening positions, which they'll set out their broad stalls. Um, with the very broad question, are everyday objects around us illusory? Peter.
2: Well, I'd hoped you'd go for a longer introduction to give me time to think. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I intend to um, take an extreme view, which I will uh, attempt to defend against all opposition throughout the, this debate. If there is any opposition, of course, it might be accepted immediately. Um, but, and uh, it's up to you to judge whether I, I'm actually pretending to adopt this, or whether I really believe it, or whether I'm really pretending to pretend, (laughs) et cetera. Um, I'm I'm going to take the view that ultimate reality is mathematics, Uh, that everything that there is is somehow or other, and I will have to explore what I mean by somehow or other, uh, simply a kind of realization of mathematics. And I think it, the, the clue to why I think that is that mathematics is such an important component of our description of physical reality. It's, it's extraordinary that mathematics proves to be the language, turns out to be the language of, um, of discovery and, uh, and comprehension, if you like, in the, in the physical sciences. Why does mathematics s- suit so well the, the physical reality that we uh, seem to encounter. And there are all sorts of analogies between um, physical reality and mathematics. I mean, think of the integers. Uh, once you've got the integers, as Kroedeker said... Um, that the rest is doing things, mathematics is doing things to the integers that they weren't intended to in the first place. And out of that springs the, the whole of the construct of mathematics and all its elaborate forms. But where do the integers come from? They come from the empty set and sets that contain the empty set and so on. So you can build up an an idea of the integers from absolutely nothing. And this world, of course, sprang from absolutely nothing. So there are deep analogies, I think, between the emergence of this elaborate world and the emergence of an elaborate mathematical structure. But then somehow or other, and maybe this will unfold in the course of our discussion, uh, we've got to find out what it means for tangible objects to uh, be manifestations of mathematical entities.
0: Thank you, there's a a lot to unpick there. I hope we get to unpick at least some of it. Um, James.
3: Right, so I want to begin by saying that there are some things that we can see which aren't real, and some things that are real that we can't see. I think both those statements are pretty obvious, but just to give you the example, and this will make the distinction between an illusion and something subjective or private or imaginary to me. Take a rainbow. Why isn't a rainbow real? Well, for a very long time people have thought, to be real, it's not enough that everyone agrees that they can see something there. The point about a rainbow is that you can only perceive it through vision. So it's a public illusion. Everybody sees it, But you can only see it through, only encounter it through vision. It's not possible to bump into a rainbow or hear a rainbow, encounter a rainbow in any other way than through this one sense. And so it's right to distinguish between a rainbow and the table, as the table. Although I might think, okay, I get limited information about it by seeing it, but I can also bump into it and I can also weigh it, and other other people bump into it and encounter it as well. So with that distinction in mind, the distinction between an illusion and uh, what's what's private, and also just to establish that there are things that we can see that aren't real, like rainbows, we also need to admit that there are things that are real that we can't see, such as, for example, electromagnetic radiation outside the visual spectrum, uh, visible spectrum. We all know that that radiation's there because we get our mobile phone signals, right? We all know that diseases that we can't see can kill us. We know that radiation that we can't see can kill us. So there are definitely things that exist that common sense doesn't tell us anything about and which we wouldn't know existed if we hadn't done further investigation. And so, in general, we shouldn't think that common sense is a particularly good guide to what there is. Now, science tells us about loads of things that exist and um, I don't want to go on for too long at this point, I'll have some more to say later, but I would say that really we don't need to put the issue in terms of everyday things versus subatomic particles or fields or whatever, we can put the issue in terms of scientific kinds that aren't fundamental and particles or fields or whatever. So let's just think about Peter's subject matter in chemistry, molecules, those things are not fundamental in science, they're higher level entities. There are lots of things like that that science studies, big entities that are nonetheless real, physical you might say, but not the ultimate fundamental stuff if there is any such thing. So if we're going to deny the existence of everyday things just because they're not fundamental, then we need to deny the existence of lots of scientific kinds as well, which I don't think is a sensible thing to do because these are part of what we've learned to take account of in order to understand the world in the same way that we have to take account of of tables. So uh, short answer is yes, there are lots of physical things that uh, we only know about through science, and there are some things that we encounter in common sense that aren't real, but lots of things that are. It's a very uh, sort of commonsensical position, but I think important to note that it's common sense to think that in the light of the development of advanced science that tells us that there's lots of stuff like microwaves that we otherwise wouldn't know about. And so it wouldn't have been common sense to think what I think uh, you know, in previous ages it just is now. Okay, thank you, Joanna.
4: Thank you very much. Um, so this is a kind of a really interesting question, which has this huge history behind it, as we've been hearing. And there's, if you think of philosophy as a kind of boxing match, why not? Um, in the in the sort of red corner, there are the physicalists, the materialists, who you know adopt the view that the physical world is what we can be sure of, the stuff that we can kind of be sure of, look at, make sense of. Um, and you have Johnson in refutation of Barclay, you know, I've kicked the stone, my foot hurts, that kind of refutation. Um, and then in the sort of blue corner, you have the idealist tradition, the anti-materialist tradition, this idea that really you can be sure only of your minds, that's the thing you're sure of. And everything else is a bit dodgy, potentially. And this goes back to the ancient Eastern traditions, the Upanishads, where creation begins with I am. That's the first kind of moment in creation and then the world. Um, And also Barclay's kind of idea, which we now see as subjective idealism, this idea that for him it was a kind of, it was a synthesized reality because of God, you know, because of the mind of God perceiving everything. So it was all okay. You can then kind of start playing with that if you're Borges, for example, um, the great sort of Uh, writer of the 20th century who had this idea, if you don't have God anymore in that tradition, what happens? And he had a short story called Talon Ukbar, Tertius Orbis, where he imagines if subjective reality is the only thing, then the danger is that this tent would disappear if someone wasn't looking at it, and it would be a real problem. And so entire civilizations have been saved by a flock of birds flying past just at the right moment, that kind of idea. So, you know, you can have a lot of fun with the extremities of these theories. Um, And physicalism gets into terrible trouble with the self. This problem, because you can't find a physical thing called the self, it doesn't exist. And you get the sort of arch physicalist view that the self is an illusion which leads to that wonderfully mad sentence i myself believe there is no self which you know causes all sorts of fascinating problems of how a non-existent self can refute its own reality so i think you know it's a really fascinating question at the risk of sounding like i want to stop the boxing match which is you know i, I, I don't at all um, asking the pugilists to be friends i think there's also one further point that i'd like to make about this Irrespective of whether we're going to arrive at a sense of the truth of everything now at this moment, which I fear we may not, there is this possibly a fact that we might all accept, which is that we're all having a subjective experience. We're all here as a unique human, seeing the world. And so our experience is always mediated through the self, so you never escape that. Even in the most beautiful science, there's always a perceiver doing, the perceiving, there's always someone there. And that's kind of the uh, sort of interim position I'd like to take. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for those, uh, Actually, gets kicked off. I mean, I want to go back to something James said, because, I mean, Jana's comments there, you know, about the idea of the self and somehow the self disappears in a purely physicalist kind of understanding of things. And of course, but lots of other things do. And, and, and I just suppose the problem I've got here is, you know, we use, we talk about what's real, or what exists. But isn't, isn't that a bit too crude? Isn't it a question of a matter of in what sense people, things are real, in what sense they exist? Because James, when you said a rainbow isn't real, but there not there a sense in which it is real? It, it's real as a, as a phenomenon that occurs. It sure, sure, it only occurs for certain creatures in a certain position with certain sense perception. But then, you yeah, know, that's true of any kind of experience. Ex- any kind of subjective experience is, you know, only exists with a certain kind of uh, uh, sub- creature there with a, a a certain perception. Would we not want to say those things are nonetheless real in a way that they do exist?
3: If you like, but I still think <laughs> the distinction stands between a f- real physical object and a rainbow. So, I mean, uh, you, you might as well say Santa Claus is real because everyone talks about him. So, so there's a phenomenon. But it's not particularly helpful when someone's asking, is Santa Claus real, if your first answer is yes, because they're going to think Santa Claus is a person. So a, f- a physical en- a, you know, a body, a, 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 a human organism, wh- whichever. Yeah. Right? So uh, I think you want to make the distinction between um, physical objects and perceptions, because not all of our perceptions are veridical. But the refraction responsible
2: for the for the r- rainbow itself yeah occurs even in the absence of the perceiver so in some right. sense the
3: rainbow has occurred even if it has not been perceived one could say i mean the conditions for the i think it's a bit tricky i would say the rainbow the rainbow itself no i mean i'd say what you what you've got is light being refracted I would say the rainbow. That so, what name do you mean by the rainbow? Then? Well, I think the ne- the rainbow is is the appearance in the visual field. Ah, that's per so, you're, so, you're angle. defining it as something that can be perceived. Uh, is, I was doing because is, I was I was I was, I was I was saying I mean my my initial beginning was to say the rainbow is a public illusion. So, yeah. to that extent, of course, I'm saying it's 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 real because it's a real illusion but it's not a real physical object.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> you're saying real physical object. Now, I can see that. It's not a real physical object, but, but, the uh, but, but are, there, are there, there things that are real that aren't physical <laughs> objects, right? I mean, or, or why are physical objects colonising? They don't have a monopoly on the no, adjective real, do they? No. So, it, real physical object is fine, whereas not real without physical object in there, I think, is potentially misleading, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
3: I mean, I haven't said anything about what we mean by physical here, I suppose. What, what, Everyone sort of takes it for granted that we know what we mean, and part of my point was to say, well, if you talk about physics, there's a whole range of things in physics from subatomic particles all the way through to atoms, all the way through to condensed matter, all the way through to vast, you know, interstellar stellar structures. And now, none of th- there are lots of things in physics that aren't fundamental. So if the threat is supposed to be, you know, because there's fundamental stuff, then the emergent stuff isn't real, then that's not going to divide between physics and everything else. That's going to divide out loads. That's going to exclude lots of stuff within physical science. Uh, as for the self, i mean, I say maybe a bit of a red herring because there's lots of people who convince themselves there's no, no self through nothing to do with physicalism. So in the Buddhist tradition, for example, they would convince themselves the self is an illusion, um, and that, that's nothing to do with physicalism. They just think when you, when you try to find the self, you can't find it. But what do you mean? By, I mean, the self is just self-awareness, isn't it, really? It's being aware
2: that one exists, basically. Well, what's,
0: what's, what's I, I tell you what. I think we could, can't go down this rabbit hole. I think we've got to go down the self. We've got to go have a discussion on the self. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think we want to stick to the moment. To um, we can just try and keep it a little bit narrow at this stage, because this point about what's real, and, and James talked about real physical objects. Because in, in the, the position you were advocating originally, not telling us whether you genuinely believed it or not, was in a sense that what's most real is maths, which presumably is not a physical object.
2: No, but it's manifest as a physical object. Um, and that's the difference, really. Somehow or other, mathematics underlies everything there is and manifests itself as entities. Um, and I suppose you have to step back a little bit and say, well, uh, what, what, are, what are sensations? And I think all sensations are touch. Um, in the sense, obviously, touch itself is touch, but listening, hearing, is also touch of molecules on the you know, the diaphragm of the ear. Um, sight, in a sense, is touch, because um, uh, it depends upon the, the shape of a retinal molecule inside a, a, a protein. And as soon as the light hits it and changes its shape, the touch of it that molecule to its cup that is held in um, changes and it jumps out and that sends a signal to the brain. So I think that all um, sensation, uh, human sensation and animal, organistic sensation, boils down to touch. And then you have to say, well, in what sense can you touch mathematics? Mm. Can I, a, can gone, I yes. say something
4: about the math thing? Um, so this idea, you know, mass obviously says a huge amount about the world. You know, I think it would be, extremely arduous and tiresome for you all if I were to deny that. But, you know, it doesn't say something about everything. And I think it's the claims of math as a theory of everything that I'd resist. Um, It doesn't say anything about how I felt about the veggie burger that I didn't quite finish as I was coming to the tent. You know, I had lots of complex feelings about that. It doesn't say you know, a lot actually about the sort of meaning of, you know, our lives. Fundamentally how we feel about the fact that we're all finite and having this extraordinary moment of experience. And, you know, there's a joke about this in The Hitchhiker's Guide. You know, Douglas Adams got their ages ago, which is, you know, they they create this great big computer, and it's going to number crunch the meaning of life, and it's going to come out with the absolute mathematical answer, and they go along saying, what's the answer to the question, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything, and it says 42, and they think, well, hang on, did we ask the wrong question, you know, because obviously it doesn't really tell you. Everything that you wanted to know. So but
2: that, that is a parody, isn't it? Yes, but I'm it's saying. the right. It's, so it's
4: parody, that notion that the sort of Pythagorean, that, you know, yeah. the sort of mathematical perfect utopia What's wrong can replace. <laughs> you know, can <laughs> <start> to, <laughs> Well, it might be your utopia, yeah. but that there are other. I think it's trying to reveal that that simple numerical answer may lead to the further question of. Is there another sort of but, but, answer we might also have? But if you
2: think all these emotions that you're alluding to are really... Um, consequences of the chemical processes going on in, in our, our system. They are physical processes that depend upon the biochemical processes going on within us. So then you have to say, well, what do you mean by a biochemical process? And that comes down, I think, to the changing shapes of molecules. But I think and you've once gone again some, sorry, you you are forced sorry. to say, well, in what sense are those shapes m- m- the manifestation of mathematics? I P- think
4: that's Peter, gone into smallism. And you well, I was going to say, that, Peter, so why are you stopping at
3: molecules? I mean, you, you, you're privileging oh. that as a level of description. But we could just say, no, but the molecules are um, particular excitation patterns of quantum fields, right? And there's, you know, an ontology of physics lower, at, at, at a smaller scale than that of molecules. And, the, and indeed, the ontology of molecules doesn't make any sense without that smaller scale hmm. ontology, right? So, yeah. um, so it I think It
2: was a convenient resting place. Good, OK. On, 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 on the... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> On the way to true discovery,
3: right? So but, I think, no, exactly. So we, but I think I, I, I think that the, 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 the brief was trying to get us to puzzle about the existence of things other than the most fundamental things. Um, so, and I and I think what's clear is that even if we're um, restricting ourselves to science, and even if we're restricting ourselves to physics, there's lots of stuff that isn't fundamental. So we wouldn't want to eliminate everyday physical objects for not being fundamental that's that would be
2: no no but but um, it's a reductionist program that we're on we're 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 saying okay there's lots of stuff out there and we're trying to get to the heart of that stuff and to see what really where it all springs from and not denying the manifestation of things in general
4: But it's lovely to get down to the constituent elements. That's really wonderful. Although then we could ask about the sort of ones that, you know, have names taken from James Joyce, like quarks and that, you know... Kind of keep think, disappearing you know, when we're trying to find them. But it's wonderful to get there. That's fantastic. Yeah. But also, there are these emergent properties. There are these kind of things that sort of evolve, the yeah, opposite. So, but always to think that the reality is in these, the, the smallest possible. Well, science goes in, t- in two it's, it's directions. Quite a, uh, science, goes in, science
2: goes in two directions. It delves down to discover. Which is and, lovely. And that's, that's, that's the reductionism, which is, is, prof- is probably much simpler to go in that direction from going in the opposite direction. That is, seeing how emergent. Our properties evolve, as it were, or spring from this structure. And I think, if I can just finish that mm. sentence and take up a point, I think the ultimate entity uh, from which this world is and you might remember, I might be pretending um, <laughs> I, I, I think the ultimate <laughs> entity is either one or zero.
4: I love this—that you're so Leucopus, the originator of the idea of the atom, is believed not to be real, and now you're arguing that your defence of atomism may also not be real. I mean,
0: this is just <laughs> yeah. too postmodern.
4: But listen, but I'm
0: always trying. To, oh, 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 dangerous! What? Careful! Watch it! Watch it! Sorry, I, you can never. Be you too didn't post-modern. finish your veggie burger. You're still a bit hangry, aren't you? I can tell. <laughs> um, now listen, I just want to get clear yes. though, because it it sounds like on a, on the on the sort of unifying theme, we might all be. A, You might all be agreeing, and I want to check this is right, because, okay, so on this question, you know, what is real, what is not real? Jay's made this point that there's this sort of odd kind of way of looking at things, which is to sort of claim that only what is most fundamental, from the point of view of science, is, is real, and other things are somehow illusions, and that kind of... It doesn't really make that doesn't really make sense really, and you f- you find this sort of slippage all the time. But if if it's if it's true that there are different levels of organisation, and that you know it, it's it's not it's not only the most fundamental that are real, then a lot of things people say when they deny the reality of things is it, simply drawing a line at what level of description is real at an arbitrary point. So, for example. People talk about you know thoughts and ideas aren't real, uh, you know they're just illusions. It's just brain processes, but brain processes are very far from fundamental in terms of you know physical matter. You know they're they they they're, they're very complicated biological systems, and then you have to go down to the atomic, subatomic, etc. So I, I just want to check. It seems like, and maybe we don't, know, that you all kind of agree that whatever is most fundamental and for you it's maths, for you it may not be, I don't know, don't know what it is for Joanna. Whatever is most fundamental, it doesn't follow from whatever is most fundamental that everyday objects aren't real and presumably it doesn't also follow that things like thoughts and feelings and emotions aren't real. Has anyone got any issues with any of that or clarifications well, or disagreements? Clarif-
3: I think that's right and a clarification is that I'm not sure that there will be a fundamental ultimate description. Now, right. Maybe there will and it's surely a laudable kind of project to pursue more and more deeper explanations. Mm. And often what we're talking about here is higher higher energy scales or smaller and smaller length scales, but that just may be a, may be a, a limitation of our perspective. But suppose, suppose there isn't a, a gonna be this ultimate final resting point of a fundamental reality. Then what we've got is just what, we're, what we had to start with, which is just like you said, I mean, lots of things at lots of different scales, um, and that's it. That's what there is. Yeah. Yeah. How, how
2: depressing that is. Sorry? How depressing that would be. Why is it depressing? Well, no, You want that... there to be
3: more to all of this than all of this? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but
4: that's, yeah. That's, oh, I dare I say it, that's a rather I... emotional view. I don't
2: know.
0: <laughs> 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 why then, is it depressing? Can you explain why it's depressing?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just saying that, that we live in a zoo, basically, of the all sorts of different entities. And that there's no organisation. I mean, it's a bit like before the periodic table was discovered, when there are all these elements, oxygen, sulphur.
3: No one thought that they were brothers and sisters. And well, suddenly... it could be an organised zoo, Peter. What? It could it's be an organised zoo. Well, if... Um, I mean, it is an organised zoo, because we understand lots of things about the interrelationships but, but between uh, these the, entities, they, right? Uh, so yeah,
2: exactly. But that was because we understand how the, the properties of the elements spring from the properties
3: of the atoms well, of the exactly but we'll still electrons. we still understand but that even if we don't find a fundamental level i mean if we understand chemistry in terms of electromagnetism yeah right and the formation of bonds in terms of energy and the coulomb force we still have that understanding whatever future science yeah, but comes up with it's right? incomplete though isn't it i mean
2: the world but is the, out... The, the, the i, the the I think the driving, an the driving force of science is i think that the world is simple uh, that, and we scientists are looking for the simplicity, the ultimate simplicity that underlies all this complexity. And I think that is the, the, the road that science has, is on and it should not be presumed to be
3: without end. I think, you see, I think maybe you could say the opposite. I mean, that that science has revealed to us that the world is much, much more complicated than we could possibly have imagined. No. (laughs) Oh, seriously, what? You're talking about one cell in the human body, right? The functioning and structure of that cell and the processes that take place in it are mind-bogglingly complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so. But they spring from an inner simplicity.
2: And I think you philosophers are uh, are faced by the complexity of the world, and you can't see that it springs from an inner simplicity. Can I just come in on that beautiful
4: metaphor that that Peter's just used? It springs from an inner simplicity, and I just wanted to talk about language as a result of that very poetic term that he's just used, which is that we're having this debate in a language which is fraught with wonderful metaphors and indeterminacies and echoes and associations, and we all use it in our own partially completely idiosyncratic way, and yet we commune through it. It's a really paradoxical system. And so whenever we get into these debates, there's that extraordinary question of the malleability of metaphor as well. The Big Bang is an amazing metaphor, but it has this ancient history of cosmic eggs. That was George Lemaitre's first idea, was that he'd found the cosmic egg cracking open, this ancient metaphor that goes back to the Orphic eggs and back to the ancient Egyptians. These great associations within language that are part of this debate. So the imprecision is wonderful, I think. And I think if we kind of detach from that, we enter this sort of realm of a kind of pseudoscience of a very beautiful, um, a very malleable language as well. And also Borges, to just refer to him briefly again, said, do we really think that, is it really possible that this lovely kind of beautiful grunting of primates, which is what we're always engaged in, corresponds absolutely with the whole of reality? Is that really likely? Lovely no. as it is,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. but but the, the spring. The, the, let me just push this springs from thing a bit, okay? Because it could be meaning one one or several things. I mean, there could be a sense in which, yeah, there is there is something fundamental. James suggests that we may not find it, or there may not be such a thing. But one can imagine that there is a kind of fundamental simplicity, which is the where all things spring from. But isn't it? The case now. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. That most people would agree that even if that were the case, you would not ever be able to get into the position where you could predict and all and explain all the properties of what springs from that at higher levels of organization. By the time you are even at chemistry, maybe not, but certainly at biology, uh, but you know m- the organization. This this simple basis yeah. has organized itself into a great complexity, which means that you would never be able to like. For mathematics alone, for example, yeah.
2: predicts uh, Hamlet, you know no exactly, but science is not about prediction entirely. I mean um, uh, there are some things that we know that we cannot predict you can 't predict what i 'm going to say next, even mm. nor can I frankly, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but, 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 but uh, uh, I, th- I think w- w- what uh, what science is after is. The let's call it the ultimate theory, just mm. for, for the shorthand and so on. And um, it will test it in a variety of ways, some of which will be predictions. For example, we can mm. predict the swing of a pendulum. Um, but other things, we will feel that, or know, that we have got the correct explanation, mm. but can still make no um, predictions, because it's simply too complicated.
0: Uh, okay, prediction, what about explanation? I mean, could you probably even explain the writing of Hamlet and our emotional responses to it by, by getting to the fundamental mathematical organization of the universe. It seems to be it's a different order. It seems to be well, a different order of yeah. explanation completely. Yeah, which I, I, I,
2: I quite agree. I, I, I think um, I, uh, there are only two big questions in science. Um, one is where it all came from and how, and the other is the nature of consciousness. Um, and I think the nature of consciousness will be explored by simulation, that we will build c- computers of ever-increasing sophistication, perhaps quantum computers, and who knows, it might be digital, um, that once we have built them, we will be able to analyze the nature of consciousness more than we can using human brains at the moment. So I, th- I think um, we will discover a lot about human perception and thought once we've built something that we can take apart.
3: Can I, yeah. I just want to separate the question of whether you can give a mathematical description from whether you can give a fundamental description. So there are lots of emergent phenomena that does have a mathematical simplicity to it. So, for example, in cities, the number of petrol stations scales like a power law. The income distribution, uh, income inequality goes like a power law. There are mathematical relationships all over the place. And you would find that if you analysed Hamlet, it would have a very high degree of complexity you could measure mathematically by looking at the, num- the, the the amount of vocabulary used. So you could quantify that. Um, that's a separate issue from whether you could give an ultimate explanation of it, right? Those those are two different things. So we don't wanna confuse them. And then, and then the other thing I would say is that I think, I mean, I completely agree that it's a big part of science to try to find ultimate simple, grounds for things and I think with chemistry, you know, it is true actually, you can predict a lot from quantum mechanics using supercomputers about the structure of molecules. But I would say science is also interested in describing just at a particular um, level or scale of description. There are still questions that you just want to know the answer to. And you know you might want to know for example um, whether there's a planet that's you know got liquid water on it. And that's a scientific question and it's not a question about about ultimate reality. Um, so and I would I would sort of disagree that really there's a, you know where did it all come from? I'm still quite interested in where it's all going. Well, we can't do much about that. <laughs> well, well, well I mean, what do you mean? It, it, I mean? Hang on,
2: what do you mean by that? Where, yeah. what you just,
0: where it's
3: all well, there's an obsession with origins, but I mean it's it's um, no less important for us as human beings to understand the future. In fact, you might say more. Um, so so to cast, to describe science as something that's Um, really about explaining where everything comes from is a bit tendentious. I mean, science is, cosmology is equally much about the future of the universe, as about the past of the universe. And um, for us as human beings, I would say, I mean, of course there's more to science than prediction, but um, I mean, for most people, the value of science in the end is that it enables them to manipulate and predict and control the future rather than the past. And yeah, I'll go to, I go to you in a minute, Joanna, but on
0: this mathematics point, you, you made this distinction about, you know, be a, a fundamental an account and a kind of descriptions, and you sort of have power laws with, you know, petrol stations, et cetera, et cetera. It just does seem to me that, that aren't we danger. maybe this is true as well, that because we can, it seems mathematics is hugely powerful. We can always find a mathematical kind of formula to explain, to sort of describe what's going on. That We kind of tricked into thinking that maths is somehow the reason why it's that way. The reason why there are these, these distribution of petrol stations in, in a city, for example, can only be understood if you understand something about use of cars, fuel efficiency, lots of things which are not mathematical. The fact that you can then you know find a mathematical formula that will kind of predict Accurately describe it is, is, is not the same as therefore explaining why it's the case. Is, no, but is that but right? a
2: lot of science, well, almost all science begins by uh, identifying patterns. Mm. And, uh, and this correlation of the distribution of X in a, in a field of Y is an um, interesting pattern. But then you have to look for the reasons for it. And those you find in economics and anthropology and all the other things. Can
4: I just say, yeah. so when you talk about that, it's very interesting you say science establishes patterns, then you look, and so that's interesting that there's a kind of, you know, there's a slippage, there's a person who's establishing the patterns who is the scientist. Yeah. And that's, that was the kind of point I was just trying to insert at the beginning that, yeah. you know, that the kind of notion, this sort of thing we're talking about, that there's a realm that exists beyond, you know, we can divide it very clearly, there's mind, matter over there, you know, I'm over here looking at that, you know, that's my subjective perception is that. And so the scientist who analyzes and assesses in this wonderful creative way is a a mortal human with suppositions Looking at that thing, analyzing can produce amazing deductions, yeah. but there's a subjective the, process, and we know that it can be very cultural. We know, for example, Pythagoras, you know, he has good numbers and bad numbers, and guess what? The bad numbers are women, you yeah. know, they're feminine, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have these incredible, and that's a theory of the absolute perfectibility of about, maths. That's, that's the theory yeah. that maths is. Beyond but, but, but the human, in fact, but it has that cultural supposition mm. behind but
3: by Pythagoras it. Pythagoras' theorem is transcultural because it's found by the Chinese and the Indians as well as the yeah, Greeks.
4: That's very eerie, isn't it? That, that yeah. um, you know these theories. Well, you could say it's eerie. You could say it's kind of reassuring.
3: I mean, it's like human beings working out the phases of the moon, and it doesn't matter where you are on the Earth, you're going to you're going to work those things oh, out. Oh, I
4: see. So that would be mm. yes. But could that also be proof of these kind of fascinating communities of human consciousness, or is it always proof of? Well, I think, the communi- thing I, think communi- I think it's very important you say community
3: because I don't think we want to get the impression that science is done by individual scientists, although it once was it's to some extent. done by communities
4: of individual scientists. Yes,
3: absolutely, right? but I think the community bit is really yeah. essential. But I, I, we shouldn't confuse the procedures by which discoveries
2: are made, which is what you're currently talking about, from what they finally discover. And I think there is a difference there. But okay,
0: I'm, I, I just want to sort of be given the way the, the event was framed. I want to make sure that we perhaps address some of the things people might be expecting us um, to address. Um, it's been gone off in lovely directions. But I mean, I think when people come to a talk with a subject like this, they'll, they'll have in mind things they've seen on YouTube, maybe, or, or, or read in various books, things like this Donald Hoffman type stuff. That actually, you know, what science has really shown us, and people have known this for a long time, is, you know, because. Uh, there's this difference between what we perceive and, you know, what's going on at the more fundamental level, whatever you call it, that it does kind of follow that in some way we, we live in a world which is an illusion. You know, it's, it, it's things only seem to us the way they are because of the particular user interface we have, which is the sort of Donald Hoffman kind of term. I just wanted to know, what what, what what do you make of that? Is there something to that? that you know? Well, there is a sense in which we do have to accept the fact that in a, in a sense, if everything is an illusion in a, in a, in really, because nothing is really like the way it seems. There's well, a fundamental gap.
2: I, I, if I were to stick to my guns and talk about the, the, the nature of ultimate reality being mathematics, I would have to agree that everything was an illusion. But let's let's look into that. And in a way, um, Heisenberg's Uncertainty Principle plays a role in in this aspect of it. Um, Because we look around, we're we're brought up in this very complex milieu um, where we think that we can talk about where particles are and um, where they're going and uh, what velocities and so on. What the Uncertainty Principle did when it was introduced into quantum theory was to say, You're deluded. You think, and there are people like Einstein and Bohr who could never get their heads around this, big as their heads were. Um, uh, uh, You are deluded in thinking that a full description of the world is in terms of positions and velocities. What, What the uncertainty principle said is that you have to choose, discuss the world in the language of part of location, or discuss the world in the the language of momentum. And if you do not mix those two languages, you get a very simple outcome. It's when you start to use your common sense view that you need both, that the world explodes into confusion. So the uncertainty principle is in fact a great clarifier of the way we should think about the nature of the world. a location language. Choose a momentum language. Don't start a sentence in one and end
3: up in the other. <laughs> so James, so just, I mean, this. I'm sure people say all sorts of crazy things on YouTube. And I'm not familiar with this <laughs> this person you mentioned, but I mean, is the claim supposed to be something like um, everything we know about the world is an illusion, or? everything, nothing, nothing we we talk about is real. I mean, is he talking about what the solar winds illusion that the Earth isn't an oblate sphere? You know, there are not moons of Jupiter. You sum up, you probably. Well,
4: I just did a panel with him here and his argument was that um, we, you know, that the important thing is Darwinian survival. And so therefore, the brain creates any illusion that's required to survive.
3: Right but That's we don't just have what argument. the brain we don't just have what the brain gives us when we're in you know in, in our basic uh, unculturated situation what we have is thousands of years of science contributing to our cultural knowledge so it, it, I, I mean, what i think exists I is like not remotely what i think exists if i was just brought up in a community on the savanna but if i think the solar wind exists what has an argument about my brain evolving on the savannah got to do with that? I mean, we, we have, we, you know, we know, I don't know, the tides uh, exist and we can predict them. I mean, is he saying that's an illusion and there aren't really tides? Well, so he's not
4: saying various things are an illusion because his system doesn't work without Darwinian survivalism and right, also so yeah, it doesn't yeah, okay, work without yeah. maths actually as well. But also actually on that panel, I think I, it was probably me, I confess I asked the question, what would happen if a herd of wildebeest crashed into the tent? Would they also be an illusion? And he said, well, they might be an illusion, but he'd get out of the way. So that's the kind of you know, it's a sort of pragmatic. I mean, I'm always
3: a bit frustrated with this idea. You set up a question like you know, there's a there's a we all understand the difference between real and illusory. You know, a unicorn's real, no, you know, and then someone says, well, what I mean by you know, and it ends up being redefined. So we're left where we started. You know, it's not real, but I would get out of its way. Well, all right, that's what I mean by real. And if something's not real, I don't need to get out of its way. Yeah. I mean, so well, whatever else you mean by real is fine. You know, you've got your own but really no, special it, esoteric it, meaning re- for real it. Real is something that can be detected, isn't
2: it?
4: But is the imagination real? I have a question for... Yeah. Is that is real? It, I mean, it has real effects in the world. Yeah, it right. Well, yeah, I would say so. But does it... Can it be... So it can be detected by its effects? Obviously. Obviously.
3: Yeah. yeah. Obviously. But there are loads of things in science that you can't just see. So if you've got some but idea... that like. Well, you can detect, yes.
4: But are the effects of my imagination real? Any of the effects? If I I create a new religion, is that real? If I imagine a new sort of super god and tell... I'm sorry, maybe there's something I'm missing about the question, I I can't really understand
3: why anyone would would question that human beings have a faculty of imagination.
4: But would the things that they imagine, the conjurings, do they then enter into another realm? So the real imagination can conjure things that we would then dismiss from the realm of general reality, or is something once thought part of our reality in some way?
3: Well, often, but I mean, a lot of the things that I think don't become part of reality, but (laughs) 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 But some of them get taken up um, by some people. So if if your idea's a good one, then, or maybe a bad one, but, you know, some ideas definitely take on a life of their own beyond the individual that generates them. And and I would say the imagination is something that's um, Produce in the context of culture. So it doesn't make sense. I mean, you have your individual imagination, but it's the Im- individual of an imagination of someone who's been brought up in a culture.
4: Yes, yeah, so yeah. using a language to formulate right. their ideas.
0: Yeah. Yes. No, so before, before I open up, I just want to ask one more question, which is that, you know, one thing I find, this it, may be just speculative, psychological speculation may not be a good thing to do in this context, but clearly a lot of people are very, they're attracted and intrigued by this idea that somehow the physical world is an illusion. It's not just that they're persuaded that it isn't real from a purely by the logic of the argument. There's something kind of like attractive about it, I don't know. Um, I just wondered if you sort of have any ideas about, you know, why, why is that? And, and, and you know, Joanna, you, you know, you're a novelist and everything. Um, I think there are quite a lot of people, for example, who, who, who see the kind of materialistic worldview as somehow, I don't know, demeaning of our humanity, restricting of our imagination, it doesn't make these things possible. And they kind of want to deny this sort of like materialistic worldview, because they, they think that if they get, it's, 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 it's too restrictive, it, it sort of restricts human possibilities and so forth. But you, your novelist, do you have any, are you threatened by scientific materialism?
4: But I think you could also turn it the other way. Did scientific materialism say that but you know, the the other thing was itself non-valid. I think that's the question. You know, if you if you start with materialism, saying that you know, imaginings are not part of mm. you know the general kind of stuff that we're involved in, then I guess you'd get the sort of yeah. the reaction. So I don't know. I don't know where the argument would begin with that. <laughs> so I
3: really think we need to move beyond this argument. I mean, I, I yes, would say I mean, that, there's, say that exactly, there's nothing in a properly scientific beyond. attitude that would make you would deny the existence or, or you know importance of of the things that. Um, we take to be important. Yeah. P- Emotions P- and, and, and experiences. I mean,
2: there's yeah, nothing but well, properly really scientific
3: attitude that says they, those things don't exist. Yeah,
2: I'm not sure what we're opposing at the
3: moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one thing is I think that everyone's kind of does sort of agree yeah. that there is a sense in which physical objects exist and yeah. that there people may disagree about what's most fundamental, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, uh, it's
2: convenient know, yeah. that to assume that,
0: uh, that real objects exist yeah well is it only convenient though or is it also i think
2: it's only convenient only convenient at, at an ultimate level yeah yeah okay. it's a way of us getting through the, the, the day i think what can we conclude
0: i don't know if we conclude anything really that mathematics is is really is, is really powerful that um as far as all practical purposes are concerned you can carry on and treat most things you think of as real as actually being real and that perhaps ultimate reality is overrated. That's what I can say. Um, Thank you very much, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit our website, ii.tv, for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers.